Brian, that was led by the Spirit, um, that verse for sure, and the song as well. Uh, today we are celebrating uh, eight years of, of being planted, which is sort of a... If you don't know, some people, some people are extremely confused when you talk about church planting. Uh, you know, and, and so I'm not going to clear up all those details today, obviously, but uh, we will be talking about church planting, and um, it, obvious, it obviously has its roots in the Bible, and God has always been about planting stuff. You ever notice that? I mean, all throughout the Bible, he's, uh, He loves His creation. He's the one who created it, and, uh, and so He planted His people, uh, Israel. And he planted his church. Jesus did, and he is the chief cornerstone. He's the he is the uh, um, the head pastor and the head shepherd of the flock. And he laid down his life for the flock. And um, and so that's for all of us. If you would this morning go with me to Ecclesiastes. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. And again, if you don't know, we're, we're actually finding every single one of our sermons this, uh, this year <laughs> uh, in the Old Testament. So every time you, know, you come to church uh, 52 times this year, we're going to be hitting the Old Testament, alright? Now that doesn't mean automatically it's going to be boring, okay? I hope. But, uh, but it does mean that we're grounding ourselves uh, in the Old Testament because... This is what Jesus would have done when He was growing up. He would have learned the entire Old Testament, been able to quote it, as any good Jew would have done. And so, notice here, you know, Ecclesiastes, you really ought to read the book. Uh, it, it's a powerful, small book. It's one of the wisdom books. And yet it's probably uh, the most negative book in the Bible. So as far as, uh, you know, if, if you're sort of, if you feel like you're sort of a negative or critical person, this is your book, okay? This is, this is my book, right? So like, I, you know, I, I want the bad news before I get the good news, right? And so if you want some really interesting news coming from Ecclesiastes, it's going to be sort of negative. And it's kind of shocking how negative he actually is. And then, of course, he shores up things at the end. Now, we can't do a full study of the book today, but I'm just giving you a spoiler in order for you to go actually read the book for yourself because that's where God will speak to you most. Notice here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And this is, this is a very familiar passage to many people. I want to springboard from this into some other things this morning. Notice these words. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter, every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace. And a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek. And a time to lose. A time to keep. And a time to cast away. A time to tear. 
and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your holy Word. And many times we come to Your Word and we are baffled at what is said. Surprised. Lord, may Your Spirit on this Trinity Sunday, may Your Spirit, the One who inspired these words through the preacher, May Your Spirit, Lord, speak to our hearts and may we hear the voice of God, not from my voice, but from that voice that only comes with the eye and the ear of faith. May we have that faith today in this place of worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past week, I revisited... uh, the whole Lord of the Rings series uh, via movie by, by, directed by Peter Jackson, of course, and all. And, you know, it's always fascinating every time I re-watch those movies. Um, and, and this time I, I actually watched, re-watched them with, uh, with my two oldest sons for the first time. They had, they had played through the uh, Lord of the Rings Lego thing, so every time something comes up, I'm like, guys, are y'all okay? Is this too scary? Oh, no, Dad, we've already beat this part on the Lego game. You know, and of course, uh, so the orcs and all that kind of stuff didn't seem to bother them at all. And so we continued watching. We kind of tested the waters, and so we, we you know, they, every day, they, hey, can we continue watching? Well, I can't right now. We'll do it tonight. And so every night this week, we were hitting it until we finally pushed all the way to the end. And what a great story. If you don't know, it is one of the greatest stories uh, ever written. And that's not just a personal opinion. That's not, an, uh, you know, that's not just my opinion or a couple people's opinion. It was the most sold book as far as narrative, that kind of fantasy narrative in the 20th century. It was the most highly acclaimed story of the entire 20th century when it was written. Um, and so this is not just a couple people's idea But there's something going on in Lord of the Rings when you watch it. There's multiple things that are happening. You can't always pinpoint exactly why you like it, why you identify with it, why you're getting teary-eyed over stuff that was made up in someone's mind. Tolkien's mind. Who, by the way, influenced C.S. Lewis in his conversion. But Tolkien's on to something. That's why. He's telling a story that follows a larger story, a greater story. He's tapping into some things that are indispensable in this world, such as friendship, such as love, sacrifice, journeying together, uh, you know, going down new roads, seeing old friends, evil. Everything that makes for a good story is in Lord of the Rings. And what's fascinating is everything that's in a good story is also in the Bible. And the Bible actually is a story of God reaching out to us. It is the greatest story ever told. 
And that's why any story that comes close to telling the same type of story that the Bible tells is going to be a bestseller. So it's kind of a, I'm kind of giving you a foot up if you're in the writing world and you want to be famous and write something that's going to sell, then it must connect to the deep truths that are found in the Bible. If it does not connect to those truths, then it will not be a story that lasts and goes into being one of the classics. It just won't. Every story has a beginning. And this is the way the Bible begins, isn't it? In the beginning, God creates, and He creates good. And this is the way any story begins, is you have to, you have to develop the story. You have to actually create it. So if I'm going to tell you even just a brief story of something that happened to me this week, I have to set the scene, right? I've got to start the story off. Create for you the setting. If not, then it means nothing to you when I get to the punchline. And so in the Bible, we have in the beginning, and God creates, and He creates everything, and He creates everything good. Everything that He creates is created good. And yet, already in chapter 3, we, we fail. Don't we? We fall. And every good story has a fall. It has something that goes wrong. I mean, this is really, really, the, the problem really intrigues us. You ever notice when, uh, when things go, go as planned? It sort of is boring, isn't it? Haven't you noticed that in your in your own life? Like, you know, say you want to go kayaking or whatever, right? And you just, you know, you stay in the boat the whole time. Nothing ever happens. No snakes are trying to attack you. You don't flip over. You don't hit a log. You don't almost die in the river like yesterday. You know, none of that kind of stuff happens at all. And you just kind of, okay, that was a cool trip, whatever. But if you almost have a death experience like I experienced yesterday while people are laughing at me at my own peril... Um, then you kind of take from that a story. That's, that's a story worth telling, something that you overcome. Redemption has to happen in a story in order for it to be a good story. If the story left off with the main character dying at the end, you wouldn't really say this is a good story unless his death calls life for others. And this happens. This has happened. This is what Jesus has done for us. The worst thing possible, which would be killing God, was the best thing possible for all of us. The worst thing, which was the cross in the world. That's the worst sort of way to die in the world. And yet, you know, it was illegal for Roman citizens to be crucified. It was only outsiders who could be crucified because it was such a gruesome death. And yet the worst thing becomes the best thing for Christians. And now we wear it and put it up in our homes as something good because He turned it around. This every good story has to have good triumphing at the end. It has to be about redemption. And I promise you, no matter what story is your favorite one, it's going to have sacrificial love in it. doesn't matter if it's a war movie, or if it's a love story, or if it's whatever, fantasy, action. If it's a good movie, if it's a good story, then it's going to have sacrificial love at the heart of it. Why? Because that's the strongest kind of love. It's not the kind of love that I love you because you did this for me. That's not love. Love is when you haven't done anything for me and yet I still continue to love you. Where you don't owe me anything, I'm not holding something over you and yet you choose to love me and I choose to love you. This is what God has done for us. In every story there is a beginning. There's also in the middle the story part of it. It's the plot. 
I mean, you know how stories go. There's always a plot. And if the plot is boring, well, we turn it off or stop reading. If the plot is good, then we continue reading. Let me tell you something. The plot here in the Bible is... is it's a crazy story if you've ever read the Old Testament. If you ever read the New Testament, there's some crazy things happening in there. It is a very interesting story if we would read it. If we would take it to heart. Because it's His story. It's God interacting with His world, His people throughout history. His story is what history ultimately is all about. And so every, every, uh, this story has a flow, just like any story would. A plot. And sometimes we're up, sometimes we're rejoicing... Sometimes hands are lifted, other times we're on our knees crying, weeping. This is what Ecclesiastes is telling us, isn't it? There's a time to do this and there's a time to do that. He contrasts these opposites, if you will. And so he says, look, there's a time to be born, there's a time to die, there's a time to plant, time to be plucked up. Harvest Point has a story. And now, some of your stories are now converging into that story and making a new story. It's a beautiful thing how stories, the story of our life even is told. People come in unexpectedly sometimes. People come in that we don't think we would get along with, that we end up being best friends with. It, it's, it's, life in general is a crazy story, isn't it? I mean, just look at your own story of where you are and how you got... I mean, how are you still living today? That's a story, isn't it? Amen. There's been a couple of times where you almost lost it, right? Where you almost died. Where you truly were in peril. And there have been times of laughter and times of great joy and euphoria. And there have been serious times of doubt darkness, pain, grief. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes, just simply called the preacher, it's actually what he's called, he says, look, there's a time for every sort of season. And again, re-watching Lord of the Rings reminded me that the Bible moves just like that, doesn't it? There are times in Israel where you're just rooting for them. Way to go, man! That, that, you did it! You did it! Look what God did for you! With ten big plagues, He delivered you. You ought to be rejoicing. Now you get to eat, right? That's what God told them. Now that you're out of the land, let's eat. And I want you to remember what I did by eating. That was the Passover. Isn't God awesome? He gives us remembrances, not of just boring repetition, but of eating. He joins eating with remembering. He doesn't have to do that. You realize that, right? He didn't even have to make food enjoyable. So when you t- put that barbecue sandwich in your mouth in just a few minutes, and you think, boy, this is, this is tasty, or that cake or ice cream, you say, this is good. Thank God. He's the one who created it that way. He, didn't have, he, could, have, he could have made food bland. He did not. Harvest Point has a story, and many of you are coming into this story, have been integral to this story have been from the beginning. Others of you are coming in now. And it's awesome to see and to try to guess what the end will look like. And no one knows the end. Just like nobody knew the end of The Lord of the Rings if you hadn't read it. If you haven't watched it, you didn't know the exact end. You especially didn't see at the end when Frodo had to actually leave. 
And we can't see our end, can we? Can anyone see their end? No? No, you're not going to be able to see your end. We can't see the end, and yet we begin with the end in mind, don't we? Because you know where the ultimate end is? We say the end of all things. At the end, it's not going to be a thing. At the end, there's a person. There's actually three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God. And you will meet this one God in the end. He is the end. Doesn't Jesus say, I am the beginning and the end? This story that is told in the Bible is a story about Jesus. And any good story has to have Jesus at the center. And you say, well, hang on. <laughs> Lord of the Rings doesn't say anything about Jesus, man. Come on, bro. Well, I think it says a lot about Jesus. Frodo is a type of Christ, isn't he? Going as a lamb? I mean, here's Mordor and all its darkness and all its evil and orcs and created nastiness, if you will. And, you know, all its powerful swords and weapons and catapults and whatever else they can come up with. All coming against Middle-earth. And who's going to save the day? Is it strong and mighty Gandalf? The white or gray? No, no. He's not going to be able to do it. Is it Aragorn wielding that powerful sword that makes him the true king? No, it's not him either. It's actually Frodo, a little big-footed hobbit that's about yay tall, that really is very insignificant as far as a warrior goes. You see, it's not going to be won by shedding blood on the battlefield. It's going to be won by an innocent one shedding his own blood for everyone. This is the powerful thing that Tolkien gives to us when he says through Frodo, the character Frodo, he says... Sam, talking about when he was having to leave, he said, Sam, sometimes people are called to sacrifice so that others may live. That's a paraphrase. Isn't that what God has done for us? I mean, when we get excited about watching a movie and somebody lays down their life for their buddy and you're just saying, man, that really gets to me. That's what God has done for us. That's what He's done for you. Jesus has laid down His own life so that we might have life. And so every story not only has a plot of events that take place that are, that are really, you don't know what's coming next. And that's what makes it interesting. <laughs> Harvest Point doesn't know what's coming next. I mean, I, who knows? This is no longer something that's controllable. Never was. It's always been God. It's always been who He has been drawing in. And every story also has characters, doesn't it? Really interesting characters. If you're telling a, a really good story, then you have to have really interesting characters. And of course, some of them by interesting mean that they're boring. But that's who they are. That's part of the story. I mean, there's boring characters. There's really flamboyant characters. There's ones that are just out there. There's powerful characters. There's really weak characters. And all of them make for a good story. Now, I, I hope that you... I hope that you do read in your life. It's, it's healthy for you. But most of you, at, le at least everybody 100% watches television. Every television shows a story. Every sitcom, every movie, every book you pick up, they're telling a story. 
And every story is telling you something about life and the characters involved. And this story has many different types of characters. You'll find yourself here. Oh, that's me. Foot in mouth. Absolutely, here I am. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate you picking me up there, bro. Sometimes I wonder if Peter takes offense to everyone always mentioning him, you know. I'll probably get punched in the head when I get to heaven, but that's all right. I definitely deserve it. Every story has these characters, and these characters really are free to make decisions, aren't they? If you've ever got involved in maybe a, maybe a series on television, and you really went behind the scenes, you realize that the creators and the writers of that story, they're not even 100% in control of the characters. You ever heard an interview with one of these writers? They will even tell you, they'll say, they'll say yeah, it started out like this, and I, and I really thought he was going to do this, but he ended up taking a turn. You say, what do you mean? You're the one writing. Yeah, but that character takes on a character, a nature. And that nature then is free to make decisions. In the Bible, you see all kinds of characters. Some of them very strong. Some of them have great faith. Others have great faith and yet have little faith at the same time. Really interesting how complex characters really are. What makes for a good character, by the way, is the depth of that character. That you can't really ever guess what is coming next. You kind of know them, but at the same time, they're always surprising you. This is why G.K. Chesterton, one of the one of the greatest writers in the 20th century as well, he wrote and said, there's really, there's really two things that you'll never get bored of, and that is stories and people. Characters. You are a character in God's story. Now, you know, again... We could try to define that character, but at the end of the day, there's a depth to your character that really can never be known. You're free. You're free to choose God. You're free to not choose God. You're free to love. You're free to hate. This is what Ecclesiastes is saying, isn't it? God also is a character. And we kind of use that as an idiom. But God is a character, isn't He? He has a character. His character, we've already recited together this morning. Holy, holy, holy. <laughs> Ever wonder why it's three? Father, holy. Son, holy. Holy Spirit, holy. <laughs> holy Spirit has it in part of His name. We say in Christianity, yeah, that person is lost. What we mean is they have not found their story in the greater story of God. You see, there's an there's a overarching story being told by God. He knows it from beginning to end. And as His pen moves across the pages of history, writing this story, you are a character that He has developed... And yet you have free will to choose to go His way or to surprise everybody and not. He's there training us. He's there coaching us. He's there overseeing us. But we are characters in His story. And your story has not 
come to its final conclusion. Maybe at the end of your life, we can assess what it is you really lived for. But until that point, it's really difficult to see. I'm not with you always. I don't think your thoughts. I don't know your heart. But God does. What's in your heart? What sort of character are you playing in His world? His play is played out on the script of the world. Right here in Madison. And so when you go to work, you're writing the story. You're helping co-write this story of your life. And so at the end of your life, what's going to be What's going to be left behind is something written for the world to see. What's it going to say? My father very wisely always says, you preach your own funeral. And I can get up here and say whatever I want to about you. He was a great person. He loved. She was kind. She was compassionate. But your story has already been written when you die. You're writing it now. You must find that story in God's overarching story. If you don't, then you're lost. You're just wandering. You're just scribbling on pages that mean nothing in the end. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life and connect you to the greater story, I promise you, you will no longer be lost, but you will be found. You will be saved. Not just for yourself, but so that you can join that story that has no ultimate end. That story that began with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before the beginning ever even started. I mean, we think of time, and we think of our beginning, and we think of the end of human history, which will happen. Those two events actually have. One has happened, the other is yet to come. But God is eternal. He has never not existed. He has never not been Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet He invited us into His story. And now wants to help us write a beautiful story of our life. Parts of your story are very dark. Parts of your story you really won't, wouldn't want someone to know. That's okay. He can forgive those parts and work them into something beautiful. It's insane how He does it, but that's what He's good at. He knows how to tell a story. He's telling the greatest one the world's ever seen. And I can't help but think that when we get to the other side, we're going to be able to look back and see this story in a whole new light. Things that you thought you missed will be brought back up. Things that you wanted to see happen, people that you never knew you touched... They'll be there. They'll be there. But if you live for yourself, then in the end you'll get yourself. And that's hell. That's what hell is. Getting yourself. Life is not about living for yourself. Trying to write your own story story apart from others. No, life is about the other God, capital O, and others. That's why Jesus says, love God and love others. Now I'm using this as an introduction to tell you about the story of our church. But before I do, I want to take a moment for you to respond to this word before I do that. So let's take a moment to pray to God and see if our story 
is lining up with His. If not, we're telling a false one. We're a liar and the truth is not in us, the Bible says. It doesn't have to be our life. We can have new life. We can receive today good news. And He can turn any story into a good one. That is the good news. Receive it today in faith. Amen.